Now, in all of the moving that we've done in different events, my uh, my monitor didn't get turned on up here, so I can't tell if I'm coming through this thing very well or not. So I'm going to ask you again, aren't you glad that you got saved, delivered, changed, healed, and set free? I want to make sure you, are you? Okay, I wanted to make sure that you were hearing me. Amen. Amen. You say, well, we don't always act like we're uh, healed, changed, delivered, set free. Well, that's the problem. You're acting like it. When you are changed, healed, delivered, set free, you don't have to act like you are. You, you are, aren't you? And I'm glad that I am. It's good to see you in the house, Lord, today. Look up at me and smile. Boy, some of you are in trouble. All right, now, if you will, reach into your pocket and put your false teeth in and, and smile at me one more time. Amen. All righty. Well, you're a draggy crowd this morning, which probably fits the preaching, but we're going to make it through. Amen. How many is glad to be in the house of the Lord? Second Kings chapter 6, verse 1. Second Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. I got something that might help you respond a little bit better today. All right. Now, how many wants to say amen now? I thought that would help. Amen. <laughs> amen. Second Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down the trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick, and he threw it in there, and he made the iron float. Therefore, he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand, and he took it. I want to preach to you today on the subject, losing the edge. Losing the edge. Let's pray. Father, in the precious and holy name of Jesus, we're asking you to help us today. God, we need your touch. Lord, I need your touch. God, not so that I can impress but so that I may impart what thus saith the word of God. Lord, we're in desperate times, and we desperately need you. We're praying that you would make your presence real to us. In the precious name of Jesus, amen and amen. Look over at your neighbor and say, you ain't as sharp as you used to be. Amen. When Elsie Spivey was still with us one day, James Harold decided to pick at him a little bit back in Sunday school hall, and he walked back, and he said, Elsie, when I get your age, I hope I'm as sharp as you are. Elsie looked at James and said, you ain't as sharp as I am now. <laughs> we probably have all heard the oft-quoted maxim, 
But the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. How many has ever heard that? In fact, it's often said this way, that if you do the same thing, you're going to get the same thing. If you do what you've always done, then you'll get what you've always gotten. And there is a time and a place that that's true. But that's not what gives me the trouble. What gives me the trouble is when I do the same things that I've always done and they no longer have the same results. When what used to be productive is no longer productive, when what used to work no longer works. In the context of the church, we can sing the same songs that we used to sing. We can teach the same Sunday school lessons that we used to teach. We can preach the same messages that we used to preach. But where at one time when we sung those songs and we preached those messages and we taught those lessons, the Spirit of God would move, God's people would be blessed, there would be a passion for God and compassion for the lost and lost sinners would be saved and when I say saved, I mean transformed so that they don't leave like they came. They're a new creature in Christ Jesus. They didn't get a halfway salvation, get halfway deliverance. What happens when those things that did work no longer work? I would say that at least one solution is this, that the chances are that we have lost our edge. The Bible gives an example that I read to you in 2 Kings chapter 6 of a time that the people of God lost their edge. Elijah and Elisha, Elijah before and Elisha after, both were committed to ministry outlasting them. They both had gathered around them a group that they referred to as the sons of the prophets. In fact, they had regional Bible schools. There was more than one across Israel. There were in different regions a place where the sons of the prophet would come and learn at the feet of the prophet. They were committed to it outliving them. Westward celebrating its 80th year and what a great time it's been and what great ministry has gone forth from this church. Literally scattered across the United States, there are pastors filling pulpits that came out of this church. There are musicians. One of the songs that we sang sometime was written by our very own little Paulette, my best friend's little sister, who's a world-renowned musician and songwriter. All of that came up out of this great church. But what's going to happen when we pass on? Are we handing the baton off? Are we investing in the next generation? Whatever it is that you do in this church, are you training up somebody to take your place when you're gone? Because if the Lord tarries is coming, you're going to be gone. And so am I. And in that investing in the next generation, the Bible says there came a time when the sons of the prophets came to Elisha and said, the place where we are is too small for us. We're running out of room. It's too narrow. It's too cramped. 
There's no room for growth. Did you know, and I looked this up to make sure, I looked it up on the internet, so it's got to be true. <laughs> Did you know that a goldfish, if he is contained in just a little tank, he's not going to grow but one or two inches, but if you put him in a larger tank, he may go grow 10, 12, 13 inches long. But if he's too cramped, he's not going to grow beyond that. I remember uh, that uh, about, uh, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago, Crystal went to work with a school up in Twin City, Georgia, and that elementary school, it was like a little private school. In fact, the principal came on the air uh, over the intercom every morning and not only said a prayer, he did a devotion. It was a public school, but he did a devotion from the Bible and said a prayer. And everybody that worked there got along so famously with each other. Everybody just enjoyed each other. It looked wonderful on the outside looking in. Their fellowship was so sweet. And Crystal thought, if I can get a job there, how wonderful it will be. But when they hired her, they hired her and she was an outsider. And now that fellowship that was so sweet on the inside was so cold to those that were standing on the outside. They didn't have enough room for one more. Now, I don't want to get too critical and I, and I want you to stick with me because this is a message about how to fix it, but listen to me. Westward over the last 40 years has repeated the same uh, cycle over and over again. From 150 to 225, from 225 to 200, to 200 to 175, 175 to 150, 150 to 175, 175 to 200, 200 to 225, over and over again. I've had some of you uh, that when I came here told me, said, that's the way it works around here. That's the way it's going to be. Did anybody ever stop and ask Why? What is it about that magic number of 200, 225 that caps it off? Because our house is not big enough. You say, well, you want to build a new sanctuary? No, I ain't talking about that at all. I'm talking about the way we operate, the way we function is not, doesn't allow any room for anybody to come. I've seen it myself since I've been here. I've been here almost 10 years. I've seen it myself that when we get new people that get active and become active and start operating, people that we've had here for 10, 12, 15 years look around and say, it just ain't the same no more. And go somewhere else because you're spinning your wheels. Why? Because we've not intentionally made the house any bigger. Can I get an amen? <laughs> now listen to me. Listen to me. When I'm talking about a bigger house, I'm not talking about broader, uh, making the door broader. You cannot broaden the door. There are people out there that look around, and, and please understand that West Ward Church of God is experiencing what most churches in America are experiencing because we have had a, a seismic shift in society. And because we no longer live in a society that's a church society, it's impacted the church. And there's so much more for people to go and see and do, not only with their free time, but there's so much more demands upon their times. And we're having to deal with all of that, and all churches are having to deal with that. 
And there are people that think that the solution to that is we've got to make the door broader. But that's not up to us because we didn't build the door. We didn't make the door. Jesus said, I am the door into the sheepfold. He said, if you try to come in through a window, if you try to make an end run around and go in through the back door, you're the same as a thief and the ro- as a robber. I'm the way, he said, the truth and the life. We can't broaden the door. In fact, Jesus said this. He said straight, and that word straight is not the word for straight as an arrow. It is the word S-T-R-A-I-T, and it means narrow. He said straight is the way, and narrow is the gate, that leads to eternal life, but broad is the way. Broad is the gate that leads into hell. We can't make the gate, we can't make the door any broader. It's not up to us. There's not another way. Jesus, listen to me carefully, and I say this unabashedly and unashamedly. I do try to say it compassionately, but Jesus is the only way to God. He is the only way way to heaven. There's not another way. If, if, if you ask me how to get from here to Atlanta, I could tell you three or four different ways to get here. You can go uh, straight through Osceola on over uh, uh, 32 to Sycamore and catch 75 up that way. You can go up to Dublin, catch 16 and get over to Macon. You can go a lot of different ways. You can angle through Fitzgerald and, and Abbeville and Hawkinsville and Perry and get up that way. There's a lot of different ways to go to Atlanta. If you ask me how to get to Savannah, I'd have to tell you you can't get there from here. you got to go someplace else and start. But I can tell you this, if you're going to get to heaven, the only way you're going to get there is by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there are people that think we ought to broaden the door and that we ought to compromise on what the Bible has to say about what living right looks like. That we ought to compromise. I'm not talking about the commandments and traditions of men and all of that externalism. I'm talking about what the Bible says is right and what the Bible says is wrong. But listen, what the Bible says is sin is still sin. It's not up to us to make the door any broader. There's only one way and that is confess your sins and call on the name of the Lord and be baptized and you'll be saved. So it's not up to us to make the door any wider. But it is up to us to make the house bigger. Once they get in the door, there needs to be room for people to grow. We must enlarge the house. Now, I know what you Bible scholars are thinking. You're thinking, now, wait a second. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You're talking about building the church, but Jesus said, I'll build the church. Yes, he did, and that's true, and thank God for that promise. But 1 Corinthians 3.10, here's what Paul said, according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder. That word there is architecton, uh, which mean is where we get the word architect from. Architecton, architect. Paul said, God has given to me the grace to be an architect for this building, and I've laid the foundation, and another builds on it, but let each one be careful how he builds on it. We are laborers together with God. In fact, the Bible says we are God's building, and we got to make sure that 
our buildings broad enough, as wonderful as our fellowship is with each other, we have to be intentional to reach out and bring others into that fellowship. Let me tell you the kind of thing that happens without us even thinking about it. We ask people to be greeters at the front door and the back door. And then we enjoy seeing each other so much that while visitors are coming in, we're too busy talking with each other and enjoying fellowship with each other to turn and make the visitor feel welcome. And that's not just Westward Church of God. That happens everywhere. What I'm telling you is not something that happens naturally. It's not something that happens automatically. I'm telling you that somebody has to look around and say, hold it, we're getting too cramped. We need more people. What can we do to broaden the house so that we can have more people saved and on their way to heaven? How many knows that's what we are trying to do? And I, I love, Coleman came up with a, with a little saying that I loved about it. He said the mission of Westward Church of God is to make heaven more crowded. Well, let me tell you, if we're going to make heaven more crowded, then Westward Church of God's got to get more crowded. Right? Because this is the place, along with the other churches in town, that are discipling people to make it to heaven. Now, 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 2, they said to him, please let us go to the Jordan. Let's go to the Jordan. Can I tell you that whatever you build, if it's going to last, has to be built by Jordan. The Jordan River is where Jesus was baptized. The Jordan River is where Jesus, the Holy Spirit, came down and lit upon him. And it's where the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Jordan River uh, represents passing from the old life of sin to the new life uh, in Jesus Christ. It is that place of transition. It's where they went out of the wilderness into the promised land. And I'm going to tell you that whatever we build, we can't build it as a social club. We can't build it just on fellowship alone. We can't just build it because it's a cool place to be or a fun place to be. And I'm not against this, but we can't build it on light shows and fog machines. And we can't build it on great music. We can't build it, and I don't care if that music's new music, old music. You can't build it on that. It's going to have to be built by the Jordan River. It's going to have to be built on people being saved, transformed by the spirit and power of God. And then he said, let every man take a beam from there. Every man take a beam. Now listen to me. If you're expecting the pastor to build this church, it's not going to happen. If you're expecting the music pastor, the youth pastor to build this church, it's not going to happen. If you're expecting the associate pastor to build this church, it's not going to happen. Everybody's going to have to get in and work and pull together. Everybody's going to have to get a beam in their hand. It's kind of like when you used to see those old barn raisins where the whole community came together and they built it in one day. I want you to know if everybody got to work, if everybody got some splinters in their hands, if everybody got busy building the kingdom of God, I'm telling you we could have revival even in 2019. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And he said, there, let us make a place where we may dwell. Not a place where we can visit, but a place where we can dwell a place that's intricate to our life, that, that our life is wrapped up in that place. And I'm going to tell you, the church will not be built off of people that go to church. The church will never be built off of people that go to church. The church will be built off of people 
that are the church. And there's a difference. If church becomes just religious entertainment, religious theater, you'll go to that just like you go to the theater. When there ain't anything better to do, when there's not anything else, every once in a while I'll stop by maybe once or you know a month or so and, and, and get my religious theater and, and, and feel good about it and feel blessed and maybe they'll make me feel better. I'm going to tell you, the church will never grow that way, but if you'll say that's a place where I dwell, that's part of my life, what happens there matters to me. And of course, Elisha answered them, go. And then they said, one of them said to Elisha, we're going to go, but will you please come with us? I'm going to tell you that there's a lot of things going on wonderful in our day. Don't believe anybody that tells you that everything is woe in me and everything is, is bad. There are wonderful churches being built. There are people being saved, lives being touched. But I'm going to tell you that you can do all of that just in the exercise of human wit and wisdom and understanding and ability. But these sons of the prophets had enough sense to say to Elisha, Elisha whose name means God is my salvation. They said, we'll go build it, but we, we want you to come with us. Moses said that to the Lord. God said, I'm going to send my angel ahead of you. And he said, oh Lord, we need you to go with us. And he said, I will, I'll send my presence with you. And Moses said, well, if you don't send your presence, then I ain't a going. And I'm going to tell you, we need to see uh, this place expand by the power of God, but we need to do it only with the power of God. We need to make sure that God's going with us and that we're going with God. And so he went with them, and he's promised that he will go with us. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel of the kingdom, and if you'll go, I'll go with you even to the end of the world. So they went, he went with them and they came to Jordan and they cut down the trees. But as one was cutting down the tree, the handle, the axe head on the handle. Now this, this axe is dirty and it's been pretty beat up because Crystal's been using it. And, uh, but but uh, so how many has ever had an axe head get loose in the handle? You ever had that happen? And then, and then uh, I know what we did around the Peavy household. We took a, a little shim of wood and drove it down in there to try to make it tighter. Because CT wasn't going to buy another axe handle. He could get by without it. And boy, we try to do that at the church, don't we? We, we tried this method and that method and some other method to try to make it, the handle a little tighter, make it work a little better. But after a while... I found that despite our best efforts, sometimes it just got so loose, it wasn't going to stay on there. And as he was, as he was using that, the axe head slipped off and fell into the water. Now, you know, here's what uh, Ecclesiastes 10, 10 says. It says, if the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength, but wisdom brain success. And I, I thought about the two guys that went out and they were chopping down trees. You might have heard this. They were, they were chopping down trees. And one guy said to the other, said, I, I'm going to do more than, than my buddy there. And he chopped and he chopped and he chopped and he chopped. And every once in a while he looked over at his buddy and his buddy was wiping his brow, getting a drink of water. And that guy didn't take a break. 
and it came on around lunchtime and his buddy sat down and ate him a little sandwich and he's still just chopping to the best of his ability with all of his might. And he noticed that three or four times that day his buddy would sit down and take a break and he just kept on furiously chopping. But at the end of the day, his buddy had chopped down more trees than he did. He said, how could you do that when you was taking the break? He said, well, what you didn't notice was every time I took a break, I was sharpening my axe. And I'm going to tell you that we can be busy without being productive. That working harder doesn't necessarily mean that you're gaining ground. But it's one thing when the axe head is dull. It's another thing when you lose the axe head altogether. And the edge represents the Holy Spirit of God. Let, let me ask you, just in your own life, not as a church, and this is not accusatory, but I do think it is a diagnostic. In your own life, let me ask you this. Where is the passion that you once had for Jesus? Have you found your life? Some many of you are retired. You would probably tell me I'm more busy now than I've ever been, but are you more productive than you've ever been? You see, when the axe head falls off of the handle, you can keep on going through the motions, but the result is different. All you get is bruised trees and blistered hands if you're just beating the trees with the handle of the axe. There used to be a song when I was a kid, work your fingers to the bone, what do you get? Bony fingers. Right? And how many in your relationship with the Lord, you're still in there swinging, but all you're getting is blistered hands? It doesn't seem that you're going anywhere. It doesn't seem that anything has happened. When you get in that situation, it may just be that the head has fell off of the handle. Because it's not the power of the swing. It's the sharpness of the edge. It's not the effort alone. Now, an axe in the closet it, in the workshop's not going to do any good. You've got to put forth some effort, but the effort without the axe head is not going to work. And I'm going to tell you that you can preach from now until the coming of the Lord, and you can sing with all of your might and practice beautiful songs, and you can teach Sunday school lessons, and you can go out and witness to your neighbor, but unless the anointing of the Holy Ghost of God is accompanying what you're doing, all you're doing is getting bruised, blistered, and bony fingers. You're not getting anywhere, but whenever the head is on the ax, when the power of God, the edge that makes the difference is the Spirit of God. But I'm so glad that the promise of Jesus, the promise of the Father is you shall receive peace power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. It's not only unproductive to lose the head of the axe, it's dangerous. Deuteronomy 19.5 says, when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that his neighbor dies. 
It's a dangerous thing to chop wood with a loose axe head. And I can't tell you how many people have been wounded, fatally, mortally wounded in their spirit by religious activity. that lost the axe head. It's not just unproductive, it's dangerous to try to do God's work without God. How many people have been killed by spiritless religion? Going to churches. I came in yesterday for the funeral and there was up across the top, it was left over from our wonderful children's program last Sunday, but it said mission impossible. And I thought, God, I hope not. <laughs> That's what I think now. How many people are going into churches that spiritually have Ichabod written across the door? The glory is departed. Listen to me. And I know I'm dealing with people that love God and have served God faithfully. But I'm talking to me and to you, but listen to me. If without the spirit and power of God, we're not just useless, we're dangerous. We've got to get our edge back. And so he cried out, Alas, Master, it was borrowed. That axe head was made out of iron, and iron, this was just the beginning of the Iron Age. It was unique, it was rare, it was precious, it was irreplaceable. And can I tell you that the Spirit of God to the church is irreplaceable? If we lose that, there's nothing that can replace it. Education's not going to replace it. Talent is not going to replace it. Music is not going to replace it. Ability is not going to replace it. Uh, charisma is not going to replace it. P good PR is not going to replace it. Programs and systems is not going to replace it. All of those things have their place, but without the Spirit of God, it will not work. The church is a supernatural entity, entity working within this world, and if it loses the Spirit of God, it will not work. It's irreplaceable. The anointing and power of God. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And he said, Master, it's borrowed. And can I tell you that what we have is not because of our wit or wisdom. It's not because of our morality. It's not even because of our faithfulness. And I believe in faithfulness. But what we have as God's church has been given to us. In fact, the Spirit of God is not our property. We're His property. And the anointing that we have is borrowed from Him. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, the Apostle Paul said, what do y'all have to brag about? What do you have that wasn't given to you? And if it was given to you, then how can you brag? I'm going to tell you we can't brag about our preaching or about our work or about our talent or about our ability. All that we have is what has been given to us. 
Exodus 22, 14, uh, the, as Moses began to lay down the law concerning what happened when you borrowed something and it was damaged or lost. And he said, you're gonna have to pay back that that was damaged or lost. I wonder where the church is gonna be when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we have to give an account that we lost the anointing that he lent to us. You say, oh, God wouldn't do that. Oh, really? How about when Jesus said that he gave, that a king went off and gave one measure of, of silver one talent of silver to one servant and five to another and ten to another. And when he came back, he wanted an account of what they had done with it. You and I, as Christians, as the church, we are stewards of the Holy Ghost of God that was given to us. It's not ours. It's his. So the man of God said to him, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. In the murky waters of this life, it is easy to lose the axe head. My friend Jerry Pope told me years ago how that he had a friend that went off to Vietnam and his friend left his car with Jerry. And in only the way Jerry could tell a story, Jerry said this was before he got salvation. Many years ago, he said, me and some buddies got to drinking and we decided to go down by the pond and I was driving my buddy's car down, or the guy in front of me was driving down by the pond and I was driving my buddy's car behind him and the guy in front of me got bogged down and so because we were half lit, he said, I just backed my buddy's car up that I was driving and just rammed into him and it didn't move and I just ran into him again and it didn't move and I rammed into him again and finally I pushed my buddy's car out of there and he said, when we sobered up or came down from that high, I looked and it had beat my buddy's car all to pieces. He said, so what we did was is we rolled that car down into the pond and I told my buddy it had gotten stolen. He said, and that worked till years later after my buddy came back from Vietnam, years later, we went fishing in that pond and I had forgotten all about that car, but it just so happened that we were in a drought. And as we were fishing, he looked over there and he saw the top of his car sticking out of the pond. It's easy to lose things in mucky water. Have you ever had somebody, you married guys understand this, you lose your keys and your wife says to you, where was the last place you saw them? Don't you think if I do that, I'd know where my keys are? I am terrible, I'm infamous for losing things, particularly my mind. But now something that small is easy to misplace. I've told y'all the story about the day that I lost my glasses here. Right here, I was looking through them, searching for my glasses. 
How many's ever lost your keys in your hand? Idiot. <laughs> right? But when he told Elisha, I've lost the axe head. Elisha said, where did you lose it? And I want you to know if you've lost the sense of the anointing of God in your life and for the work he's called you to do, go back to the last place that you saw it. Here's what Jesus said to his own church, church at Ephesus. Church at Ephesus, I don't, I don't identify as much with the church at Laodicea, but I sure identify with the church at Ephesus. Because the church at Ephesus was doing everything right. They were sincere. They were trying. The last thing that the apostle Paul had said to them was beware of wolves. And they made sure that doctrinally they were straight as an arrow, but Jesus examined them. He said, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and that you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Oh, my word, if that text would end there, I would say, wow, A plus. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you that you have left your first love. And you know what his advice is to get it back? Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do your first works over. If you in your life and as we as a congregation, if we have lost the edge, we got to go back to where we left it. You say, well, I'm not sure where I left it. Well, I'm going to tell you a good place to start looking in the prayer closet. Repent and do your first works over, he says. Go back, showed me where you left it. I'm about to close. So Elisha took and he cut a stick down. That, that term there, stick, can mean wood. It can mean tree. It, 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 uh, he threw a trick in and there, uh, 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 the stick in and there the iron head began to float. Can I tell you what we, just like we talked about Wednesday night, when you introduce the cross into the situation, the cross will attract the axe head. The cross will attract the anointing. If you've lost the anointing of God, if you've lost your edge, introduce the cross into the situation. Now, I, I don't want to stretch this too far, but as I, and I'm not read any you know commentators that have stated this, but but when I read that about that stick, I realized I begin to look. I realized it, it can just mean a piece of wood. And it actually it means something that is fastening, something that is firm. And I, I don't know if, if they just used it to, 
to pull that axe head out of the water, but I, I just wonder. Maybe they took that piece of wood and made a new handle. Because, see, the problem that lost that axe head was not the problem with the axe head. It was a problem with the handle. And the problem, the risk that God takes in giving his Holy Spirit to us is in our humanity, we can't handle the anointing. And the handle, not the axe head, the handle was the problem. The handle was loose. And so they needed a new handle. And that's what you and I need. We need a new handle. We need God to change us. We need God to shape us. Now here's the good news. Iron, you know, I know if it's in the ship, it'll float because of, of those laws of, of nautical laws of the way you build a ship and all those kinds of things. But I'm going to tell you, an axe head does not float. It's impossible. But what's impossible with man is possible with God. And I want you to know that edge that you've lost that edge that I've lost, that edge that we've lost, it is not lost forever. God is able to make the axe head float. God is able to bring it back to us. That's the good news. And then here's what he said to him: When that axe head floated, Elisha said, pick it up yourself. And if we're sincere and we seek God and we get down to business with God, God will send the anointing back to his church. And God will make your axe head float, but I'm going to tell you what God won't do. He won't pick it up for you. He said, pick it up yourself. And the Bible says the man reached out and grabbed it. Now here's what the Lord wants from you today. He wants you to reach out and grab it. There have been times in my life that the axe head has slipped off of the handle. And I've been frustrated beating the trees with an empty handle. And I didn't even know where the axe head had fallen. But by the grace of God, he helped me have enough of an understanding to reach out. And when I reached out, that floating axe head came back to me. 
Now, you may be hearing this today, and you may feel like I've just beaten the stuffing out of you. Boy, he just chastised us. And you say, it's hopeless. I, I don't even know where to start. You may, you may have heard this this morning, and you may say, I believe everything he said, but I don't feel none of it. I've heard it, and I see it, and I believe it, but I don't, I don't feel moved. I don't feel motivated. But I'm going to tell you something. If you will respond to God's invitation, it doesn't matter whether you feel anything or not. If you will dare to trust God and reach out to grab a hold of the anointing, you'll be surprised how he'll fix your acts and change your life. I want you to stand across this building today and I want you to be honest with me. I want you to be honest with me. Now, I'm not going to ask you to come to the altar right now. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And if you don't want the head back on your axe, don't raise your hand. Be honest enough. Don't give in to social pressure. Just say, I don't want that. But I'm going to tell you, your preacher is kind of frustrated of beating trees with an empty handle. How many wants the head back on the axe? How many wants the Spirit of God back in your life? Come on, lift your hand high. Say, I do. I want that. Well, if you want that, I want you to come down to this altar and pick it up. Come on from all over this altar. Come and pick it up. If you're here today and you have other needs, if you need to give your life to Jesus, the altar's open for you. If you need a healing in your body, the altar's open for you. Whatever you need. And we'll certainly pray with you. But I'm asking those that want the head back on the axe, want the anointing, the spirit, the power of God back in their life, let's come and seek God together. Come on, let's pray.